<laughs> if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out and turn to uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, this morning. The Gospel, Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verses 1 uh, through 15. Um, there's a saying that I, uh, I think about sometimes, and it took me a long time to figure out what it meant. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, and I thought about that for, you know, it seems like I heard it in high school, and for years and years and years I thought about it. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. What does it mean for the enemy of my enemy to be my friend? Well, it essentially means this, that if you are united with another person with a common enemy, all of a sudden you can work together. And that's essentially the story of almost every single war uh, that this world has ever seen. It, uh, it brings... Uh, brings allies together, uh, united against a common goal, allies that otherwise would not uh, be able to work together. Uh, That was what happened in the Revolutionary War. Uh, The 13 colonies could not stand each other and saw themselves as competitors in uh, for financial reasons and the economy and socially and all, all manner of ways, they couldn't get together until they were united for their mutual hatred of the crown of England. Uh, we're going to see that same thing in this passage today where uh, natural enemies, uh, the Jewish Sanhedrin and Pilate, uh, come together. And in fact, the Jewish Sanhedrin, because of their hatred of Jesus Christ, ask for Pilate to rule in their favor. They would never ask him to do this. Um, and. Really, we're gonna. You don't see it in this passage, but Pilate cannot stand the Sanhedrin, and he doesn't want to do anything uh, that makes himself look weak. He doesn't want to agree with their demands, and some of that comes out in this. But they're they're naturally they just don't get along, and yet they end up in the same place with the death of Jesus. In this passage, I think we see uh, the lengths uh, that human depravity will go to to express themselves, and you see the darkness. Of the human heart. So let's uh, read this together. I invite you to read along as I read it out loud. Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. This is God's good and kind word for you this morning. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he perceived it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, 
released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for God's help and understanding this word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us this word and for even the the depravity that it shows us. Father, we pray that you would use it to expose the depravity of our own hearts and show how sinful we truly are. Lord, I pray that through that we would see just how great your love for us is and giving yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So uh, we're going to see this passage in three ways this morning. First of all, we see the commander's court. Secondly, we're going to see the crowd's choice. And then thirdly, the cruel cross. So first, the commander's uh, court. Um, at this time, the Jews cannot execute anyone as they wish. It was interesting, two weeks ago, my dad... Um, Tried to get a, uh, he tried to question me about this. He had kind of a theological gotcha question. Um, if the Jews couldn't execute someone on their own, why did they bring a woman who caught an adultery to stone? Well, I had reasons and answers for that. And my main answer was they didn't stone her, did they? Right? They didn't actually do that. They couldn't execute someone on their own. And as much as they hated Jesus, they did not have the legal right to do this. They did not want to get on the Romans' bad side any longer, so they had to go to Pilate. Uh, they had their court. We saw that the last couple of weeks that they had had their court, that, that they had tr- brought trumped-up charges against Jesus Christ, that he had done nothing wrong, and yet they condemned him to death anyway. And so they have to bring him to Pontius Pilate. And as I said earlier in the service, Pontius Pilate is, is a really important historical figure for us. We know from history and from the records of other Romans that he was indeed the prefect of this area. He was married to the Caesar's daughter at this time, so he had a a good bit of political clout. He had been a centurion, had risen through the ranks. As a centurion, he was a, a, a bloody man, very violent man, and we know a lot of things about him from history. And again, the early church saw fit to immoralize Pontius Pilate for what he did to Jesus Christ. And I just want to stop for a moment and just recognize that historical figure, Pontius Pilate, because for us it cements this story in place and in time. And it reminds us that Christianity is a historical religion that is based on history. It's based on historical fact. You see, it doesn't matter, really, if you care about Jesus one way or the other. I mean, it does for your eternal salvation. But out in the world today, you'll have people that try to convince you that that as long as you're a good person or a nice person, then it doesn't really matter who Jesus was or whether or not he was an historical person or not. And that is not the stance that the Bible takes. And that's not indeed what biblical Christianity is. It absolutely matters that Jesus lived historically. It absolutely matters that he went before Pontius Pilate, that he was condemned to die, that he did die. It absolutely matters that all of these things happen. If you take away one bit or piece of this, then there is no such thing as biblical Christianity. It matters that these things happened. Um, 
So what did Pilate do? What was his role in this? Uh, he, uh, Pilate actually lived at Caesarea on the Mediterranean Sea, but at times of feast, he would bring, uh, he would come into Jerusalem and he would bring a lot of troops with him. He needed protection for himself. Uh, he would maybe bring 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 extra troops with him. And so the Roman presence in Jerusalem at this time was higher than it normally was. And he did that in order to keep peace. And, and he was there as the leader and as the ruler of this region to make sure that peace was kept. Um, and so there are two basic charges that are brought uh, about Jesus to Pilate. The first one is sedition, that Jesus was a revolutionary and he was trying to overthrow the Roman government. Uh, the second one was treason, that he was trying to disrupt uh, the collection of taxes. And there are some people that notice that, uh, that just note that one of his disciples had, was a former tax collector, Matthew. Uh, and indeed, at various times, he did speak about taxes. And so there were these two charges that are brought against Jesus. And so they bring Jesus bound after they beat him and all of these things. And Jesus goes before Pilate. And they bring charges, and Jesus stays quiet. Verse 2, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, this question was related to that idea of sedition, because if Jesus was the king of the Jews, well, that was one thing, but if he was king of everything, then he would be trying to upseat or, or, or unseat Caesar as the king. And look at what Jesus says in verse 2. Are you king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so, or you say so is another way to say it. That's an unusual way for Jesus to answer this. Jesus' response is, you know, you have said so. And in other words, Pilate seems to recognize that there's something about Jesus. In, the, in Matthew's gospel, we know that Pilate's wife actually tries to step in And save Jesus, save his life, because apparently Pilate's wife understands that Jesus is who he has said that he was. And so something interesting is happening here. It's hard to really understand it. But it's almost as though Pilate recognizes that Jesus is someone special. But Jesus, other than that, doesn't respond to the charges. In verse 3, And the chief priest accused him of many things, and Pilate asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. Jesus made no answer, and Pilate was amazed by it. Pilate doesn't know what to do with Jesus. He doesn't know what to do with this man, Jesus. It's clear to everyone that Jesus is not guilty, And yet he doesn't speak up to defend himself. He doesn't know what to do with him. One of the things that we do with Alexander and one of the things that all of you did if you had children, you you received toys or you got them toys that were all about putting shapes in their right places. And that's one of the first things that we learn to figure out which shape goes where. You take the square and you put it into the square hole and the crescent and the crescent hole. And that's how you do it. You put their right things in their right boxes. And we learn from a very early age to put people in their correct boxes. You put them where they belong. But Pilate just can't quite figure out where to put Jesus. Because Jesus will not be put in a box. See, Jesus isn't physically dangerous. As we're about to see in a moment, Pilate had no problem arresting and killing 
rebels who were dangerous. But Jesus wasn't dangerous. Jesus has no one except for those 12 men that were following him that have all deserted him. He has no one really to give him any backing. He's not a threat in that way. Jesus is not a threat in any traditional way. And so Pilate doesn't know what to do with him. And so this question that he asked in verse 12, and Pilate again said to them, what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? That really is the question that, that not just Pilate needs to ask, but we need to ask, what do we do with Jesus? You see, Jesus refuses to be put in a box. He is unique. He is not like any other man that has ever lived because he's not merely a man. He is unique. You need to decide what to do with Jesus as well. What should you do with Jesus? If you pay attention, he's a threat to you. Because Jesus, as king and ruler and creator of all things, demands not just neutrality, but he demands everything about you. He's a threat to your independence. You see, you can't do what you want to do if Jesus is your king. You can't be self-sufficient if Jesus is your king. You can't be who you want to be. You have to submit to Jesus. So what are you going to do with Jesus? Pilate doesn't know. What are you going to do with Jesus? Secondly, we see the crowd's choice in verses 6 through 14. Pilate is now caught between a rock and a hard place. Um, He doesn't want to put Jesus to death. He doesn't have any reason to do it. And as much as the Romans were ruthless, I mean, they recognized that they couldn't just kill people if they wanted to. And so Pilate can't really do that. Uh, but he also, he doesn't want to upset these, uh, these Jewish leaders. He doesn't want a, a mob to break out or for a riot to break out or anything like that. And constantly at this time, the Jews were giving the Romans lots of problems. That's one reason why there were so many uh, guards and, and centurions uh, there in Israel at the time. So what do you do? What, what, what do you do? What, do? what do you do with Jesus? What should be done? And Pilate doesn't know. So he has this solution. He says, ah, I know what I'm going to do. I have this tradition. And every year about this time, I release a prisoner to them. So surely the crowd is going to know what to do with Jesus. Surely these people are going to know exactly what to do. And I can get off the hook here. And so he says, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and we're introduced to this character, Barabbas. Um, just a few little tidbits about Barabbas. Um, he was a rebel. Um, he was part of an insurrection, a revolutionary force that tried to kick the Romans out. And apparently Barabbas was a murderer, that he murdered probably centurions and other Roman officials in this insurrection. Um, there were many of these at this time, but... There was one in particular that was pretty famous where Pilate had these men rounded up. He had them arrested. He had them killed and slaughtered and then took their blood and forced the Jews to mix the blood of these insurrectionists in with the blood at the temple sacrifice to show them just how brutal he was and what would happen to people that were murderers and insurrectionists like this. You see, you kind of get the the picture of just what we're dealing with here. But Pilate recognizes that Jesus just isn't that kind of guy. So what should he do? He really gives the the Jews, this crowd, a choice that is no choice at all. You have Barabbas, who by his actions have brought down the heavy hand of the Roman government. And this man Jesus, 
who if you let them go, nothing worse is going to happen to them. It's really no choice at all. Uh, This, by the way, is one reason why we don't believe in democracy, and democracy is not a good thing. The United States is not a democracy. We are a republic, a representative republic. Crowds can be whipped into a frenzy. Crowds can be made to do things that they shouldn't do, and that's what happens here. Pilate says, do you want me to release Barabbas, or do you want me to release Jesus? Do you want me to release the murderer, or do you want me to release the man who raised people from the dead? Do you want me to release the man that has brought trouble into your life, or do you want me to release the man who has brought good things into your life? And what happens? The crowds chant, release Barabbas, release Barabbas, because the chief priests have riled them up. And Pilate is just massively, he's confused by this. He doesn't know what to do. He's shocked that these people would want Barabbas released. He's a violent man. He's a man who does not deserve to be released, but indeed deserves death. But they want him to be crucified. And I want you to understand, do you see just how violent men's hearts are? Um. Crucifixion was not something that was even on the table at this point. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals and was reserved to make a mockery of individuals, people who had done the worst of the worst crime, who had offended uh, the Roman government in the worst way imaginable, so much so that not even those rebels that had been caught were crucified. And here are individuals in the crowd saying, crucify Jesus. For there be nothing, no reason to do it at all, and they want Jesus crucified. Now the reason why I point that out is this week we saw a great deal of violence once again on our TV screens. Violence that happened in a school. Violence isn't a recent invention of mankind, and It's not a recent thing that's happened in the United States. Violence was the direct result of sin entering the world. Murder happened as soon as sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 4. And what I saw interesting this week, and you saw this as well, and you participated in this, many of you, inevitably whenever school shootings happen or any kind of mass shooting happens, what happens? Immediately you have people on either sides of the political spectrum that start shouting and one side says... Guns are the problem, and we need to eliminate guns. And if we just eliminated guns, then everything would be okay. And then on the opposite side of it, people say, well, no, guns aren't the problem. People are the problems, and in fact, guns are the solutions. And if we just had more guns and more people with more training, then we wouldn't have these problems. Well, that's a left solution and a right solution. I don't know where you fall on that, and that's fine. But but then... On top of that, there was what I'll call a supposedly Christian solution to it. And the Christian solution is we just need to get God back into the schools. And the reason why these things happen in schools is because God isn't there. And I just came this week after seeing all of these different uh, uh, debates happening, all these things, and my own heart being challenged on this. The reality is that violence isn't a new thing that putting God back into the school actually won't solve anything because unless Jesus Christ is in the hearts of the students where God is at the schools, then none of this is going to matter. None of it is going to matter. 
We don't merely have a problem with guns or a problem with violence. We have a sin problem that seeks to kill and destroy because our hearts are bent on killing and destroying. We have a deep, dark problem. So what's the answer? What's the answer? They need to receive Jesus in their hearts as well, but they can't see it. They don't want anything to do with him, and so they yell, crucify him, crucify him. So we see the crowd's choice. Finally, we see the cruel cross in verse 15. Again, the cross wasn't even on the table, and they say, we want to see Jesus hung to a cross, nailed to a cross, stripped naked and bare and exposed. That's what we want. There's no greater shame in the ancient world than nailing someone to a cross. It was fully intended to destroy every shred of the image of God in an individual. Now I just want you to see this. Um, Pilate goes along with it in verse 15. Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd. Um, Pilate wants to satisfy the crowd. He wants to appease the crowd. He wants to appease his bosses back in Rome. He wants to do the right thing and... And so much of that means that an innocent man is going to die. What does the crowd want to satisfy? The crowd wants to satisfy their their bloodlust. They want to satisfy their desire and their need for violence. The Sanhedrin wants to satisfy their need for power. That's why this was all going on in the first place. They needed power. They needed to feel important, and Jesus got in the way of that. In this, there is an unwitting proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, what's happening here is Pilate offers a guilty man for an innocent one. And because Jesus literally stood in the place of Barabbas, we see the gospel proclaimed to us. The cruelty of the cross means that the righteous dies for the unrighteous. The guilty one is set free. The righteous one dies. I want you to understand something. We, we might look at this and recoil again and say, how can anything good come from this? But unless this happens, there is no good that will come. It's an amazing th- thing to see this, that this is the means that God uses to redeem a people for himself. Now, when I was about 15 or 16 years old, I was uh, working... I was volunteering my time at Vacation Bible School at Plains Presbyterian Church. And one of the things that you do in Vacation Bible School that everybody loves are the skits. And I was on the skit team. And they came to me and they said, all right, Kelly, you're going to play Barabbas. You're going to be Barabbas. And I thought, Barabbas, I don't really remember who Barabbas is. Richard Bailey said Barabbas was the man, uh, the murderer. And so he said, Kelly, this is how I want you to play Barabbas. They put a, a robe on me, one of those like old kind of style robes. And I remembered it. I remember it so vividly because it smelled terrible. It apparently was a robe that had been used for about 50 years at Plains Presbyterian Church that I can guarantee you they're still using to this day. So it still smells probably just as bad as it did when they put it on me. And so they put this robe on me, this old ratty, tattered robe. And they bound my hands with some with some ropes, and they said, all right, so you're going to be bound, and what we're going to do is we're going to have somebody play Pilate. Richard Bailey probably played Pilate. Um, he stood in the middle, and then somebody was there playing Jesus. Um, probably was Stuart Mills or Kyle Perrett. It's one of the good guys playing Jesus, you know. 
So, so you have us there, and they said, okay, Kelly, here's what you're going to do. We're going to have the children in the crowd make a choice between Jesus and you to show them what happened. So I said, okay, um, well, what's going to happen? So we go out, and Richard says, okay, who are you going to choose? You have this day. You can choose Barabbas, or you can choose Jesus. Barabbas is a murderer. Jesus raised people from the dead. Who do you want? And all the kids said, we want Jesus. We want Jesus. I was like, oh, great. Even the guy that's supposed to be chosen as a teenager, I wasn't chosen for anything. I couldn't even be picked for that, right? But anyway, uh, I was sitting there, standing there in front of everyone, and then eventually they convinced the children to choose Barabbas instead of Jesus. And that was just a skit. It was just a way to illustrate what happened, that, that a guilty man was chosen instead of the innocent man. This week, as I reflected on this and remembered that I played Barabbas, the reality was is that I was playing a part back then. But I wasn't just playing a part. You see, I am Barabbas. I am the guilty man that deserves death. And Jesus went to the cross so that I would not have to die. It's surreal for you to realize that it's not just that this man was chosen, but that through faith in Jesus Christ and the gift of God, that you are let go from your sin, that you are released, and Jesus took your place. It's an amazing thing to think about, and more than that, that this isn't just an accident of history. But Jesus did this willingly for you. That he went to the cross. He bared your shame and your guilt. So that you could come to church and sing praises to him. So that you could stand before God completely free and vindicated. I hope and pray that he has taken your place this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this reminder this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for that good news that he stood in my place, that through him I have access to your throne, that I am called one of your children, that you do not hold me accountable for your sin because Jesus paid it all. Father, I thank you for that truth for myself, I pray that for all of us here that we would believe it and and know it to be true for us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.